Brethren, I invite you to turn in your copies of the Scriptures to Psalm 58. Just a few moments ago, we sang Psalm 59. Prior to that, Psalm 75. We're going to end our service singing Psalm 2. But our text today is Psalm 58, and then one verse from Proverbs 14. Hear once again the very words of God. Psalm 58, beginning in verse 1. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands on, in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be cut, be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in, his, as in his living and burning wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. And now from Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, again we are humbled this year, another year of countless millions who have died at the hands of those who believe that the killing of the unborn is a form of righteousness. Father, we humble ourselves before You. We are impotent to save. But You are the living God. The One who has created all things. And Your wrath will come against the wicked. You promised this throughout Your Scriptures. And today we are reminded of that once again. Father, we pray that You would strengthen us to proclaim righteousness to this nation and to the world that Your servants, who are Your heralds, would be faithful in doing so, that we would call sin what it is, wickedness, and that we would call righteousness from Your Word and teach that to the men of the world. We pray that You give us strength to do that, endurance, courage, and that those words of truth would go forth and pierce the hearts of men, that they would humble themselves before You in repentance, that You might lift them up. And this we pray in the mighty and strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and King of kings. Amen. As we have been working through the various covenants of the Scriptures, we have seen in both the Adamic and the Noahic covenants the negative sanctions imposed on mankind for breaking God's covenant of life. In Adam's day, it was the curse on the whole world. 
to the seed of Adam. And in Noah's day, it was the flood that killed all, save for seven who were kept in the ark. From these experiences that we read of in the Scriptures, we know that all men are in God's covenant of life. They either live in harmony to that covenant or they live in opposition to God's covenant. There is no third option. And today we are taking a brief divergence from my intended course of looking once again at the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll return to that in two weeks. Next week I will be in Middlesbrough to preach. But today we shall consider the consequences of nations that live in disobedience to God's covenants. This I have chosen to do as we once again have passed another anniversary of our nation institutionalizing the slaughter of unborn children to the God of so-called convenience. I came across a quote this week that I believe captures much of the essence of the profound evil of abortion that kindles God's wrath. Abortion isn't one issue among others, as the late Robert Jensen observed. It marks the line between civilization and barbarism. Legalized abortion gives the power to kill into the hands of private citizens. It allows the most interested parties to eliminate inconveniences and obstacles, even if those obstacles are other human beings. Legalized abortion gives adults permission to prey on the most defenseless and vulnerable members of our society. Legalized abortion is a legal wedge that justifies other horrors, such as euthanasia, eugenic engineering, and the macabre trade in human tissue. Since 1973, over 60 million unborn babies have been killed in the U.S., The annual number of abortions has been declining since the 1990s, but we're still slaughtering hundreds of thousands of every year. He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? The one who knits fetuses in their mother's wombs, will he not avenge? God is not mocked. We've chosen barbarism. Our greatest danger is that he'll let us have it. Now, this quote has fallen just short of its intended condemnation of abortion. God has already given us over to to barbarism. And consequently, we are reaping the wrath and calamities of God. How do I know this? We have just elected the most avowed pro-death administration to govern our country in our country's history. Brethren, barbarism is not on the horizon. It's here. Recently, Bazaar Magazine, of all magazines, Bazaar Magazine, has published a quote from President Joe Biden that codifies our president's current view on abortion. In an NBC town hall, Biden addressed the possibility of Judge Amy Comey Barrett overturning Roe v. Wade if she was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice. Quote, No, number one, we don't know exactly what she will do, although expectation is that she may very well move to overrule Roe, he said. And the only thing, the only uh, responsible response to that would be to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land, 
That's what I would do. In the mind of our president, the only responsible thing to do is to pass legislation making Roe the law of the land. Human sacrifice is the law of our land, and our president wants to strengthen those laws, not overturn them. Brethren, the days in which we live are dire, but the God in whom we trust is all-wise, all-discerning, all-powerful, and full of grace and mercy. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. None shall stay his hand of righteous judgment, nor shall he keep his anger forever, according to Psalm 103.8. He sees the oppression of the weak and the hand of the wicked against his righteous ones. He is our strong deliverer, and when he rises up, there shall be no mistaking it, that it is he who shall take vengeance. Our text, Psalm 58, identifies in the first five verses the character of the wicked and venomous nature of those who oppose God and his righteousness. Hear those words again. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charmer, charming ever so skillfully. Those are the words of our God. And here the Holy Spirit is underlining the ways of the wicked. The wicked are silent regarding righteousness. Their hearts are filled with wickedness and their hands act out the violence that is in their wicked hearts. The wickedness of men is from the days of their birth as they certainly are the sons of Adam. And what comes from their mouths is poison, like the poison of serpents, and that vile venom cannot be charmed away. Brethren, there is a steadfastness to the ways of the wicked. But God's ways are not thwarted because of the steadfastness of wicked men. On the contrary, because the wicked are headstrong and steadfast, God uses that quality against the wicked. This is the import of Psalm 9, verses 15 through 9. Hear these words. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made. In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by, by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. What we learn from these verses is that we must never lose sight of God's mighty sovereign hand and his sovereign outstretched arm being at work on behalf of his people described by our Lord as the meek who shall inherit the earth. We sang of that earlier in the service. It is not the wicked who shall prosper, though they seem to prosper for a little while. It is the righteous who shall prevail and shall do so in abundance. Consider these truths from Psalm 146.9, 
Proverbs 4.19 and Proverbs 15.9. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked He turns upside down. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. And the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but He loves him who follows righteousness. Brethren, we must learn again, as I mentioned last week, the lesson from the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, beginning in verse 13. Hear these words again. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Interestingly enough, the Israelites were put in captivity in Egypt because the iniquity of the Amorites was not complete. Nor was the iniquity of the Egyptians. For God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, and what happened to Egypt as a consequence. Ten plagues they suffered through, and each one being a little worse than the, the one before until the last plague took the, the lives of the firstborn of man and beast throughout all of Egypt. And then when the Egyptians, in their fear of the living God, paid the Israelites to leave with all of their wealth, God then killed Pharaoh and his army in the sea, the dry seabed, where the Israelites passed in, in deliverance of that army and the sea engulfed them. Brethren, God's hand of judgment is not slack. His judgment is meted out at precisely the right time and in precisely the right measure. I've said that before, but I want to emphasize that again today. But we must be just as certain that his judgments do correspond with the measure of the sin that has been committed. It took 400 years for the Israelites to live in captivity before the sin of the Amorites was full. We don't know how long it's going to take God to await the judgment upon this nation for the murders we've committed But think about it. How many years has it been since 1973 when we codified the legal slaughter of human beings? 48. We must be just as certain that God's judgments will correspond with the measure of the sin that has been committed. His judgment will correspond with the measure of sin that's been committed. The principle of lex talionis, an eye for an eye, was established by God as the standard of just recompense in the Old Covenant. 
That is God's standard. An eye for an eye. Therefore, when his judgment is meted out, the right measure shall approximate the measure of the murders committed. Thus far, it is estimated that over 60 million babies have been murdered in the U.S. alone. The remainder of our text speaks of the response of a just and righteous God to those who practice wickedness. Moreover, verses 6 through 11 provide us the way in which we should pray. These are, this is called an imprecatory psalm. Imprecatory psalms means uh, uh, a song of bad words against evil or against wickedness. And God teaches us to sing those things which we are doing today. We are singing imprecatory songs. Ought we not to pray imprecatory prayers as well? How, how, how often have you been encouraged to, to pray the psalms? I've done it. I'm sure you've heard it from other pastors and, and Bible scholars. It calls upon, this psalm calls upon God to righteously judge wickedness. Here are the words of David as he, has, as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the words of this psalm. Break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break their teeth in their mouth. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked so that men will say, surely, surely, there is a reward for the righteous. Surely, He is God who judges the earth. Brethren, when the wrath of God is visited upon the wicked, it shall be an onerous judgment. The teeth of the wicked shall be broken that their speech would be inhibited. That's what the purpose of the broken teeth are here. That their speech would be inhibited. Their arrows will be broken into pieces so that their weapons will be impotent before the Lord. The wicked shall melt away like a snail caught in a bright sunshine. Or like a stillborn child who does not see the sun. This description of a stillborn child is particularly salient for the sin of abortion. The wicked shall become the very thing they desire for children. Stillborn. And as the hot winds of burning fires become a whirlwind of destruction, so shall God's wrath consume the wicked. Then the last two verses of our text show us the hope set before the righteous. Those who identify with the Lord of hosts, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. 
He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. I'll explain that in a minute. So that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. By God's providence, we read from Daniel 3 today. What was Nebuchadnezzar's response when he looks into the fiery furnace? After his men lay dead around the mouth of that furnace, and the men inside, not three, but four, one whose image is as the son of the living God, walk around and are unharmed by the fire. And when called out, don't even smell like they've been near a fire, let alone having their hair singed or their clothing burned. And what was Nebuchadnezzar's response? We shall bow to your God. You see, we, we wonder, Lord, how long will you wait? I, I don't have an answer for that question. Except to say, when it's time, and he'll know what time it is, the judgment will come so severely that just as this Psalm says, surely, men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous and surely He is God who judges the earth. The recognition that this is God's handiwork will not be, will not be mistaken. Everyone will know it. Everyone will know it. Now notice this, brethren. Somebody has to say these words, Right? So that men will say, someone lives to say these words. Who's the one that lives? Is it the wicked who are being judged? Or will it be the righteous whom God preserves? The righteous are those who survive. And we should also note that dead men don't see, nor do they speak. Only the living see and speak. Only the living could say, so that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely He is God who judges the earth. Here the righteous see the vengeance of God because they survive. But notice as well that God's wrath is close at hand to the righteous. They are in the midst of the judgment. For their footsteps, the footsteps of the righteous are bathed in the blood of the wicked. When this judgment comes in its fullness, I think it's already begun, but when it comes in its fullness, it's going to be so close that the blood of the wicked will be in our footsteps. We can't escape it. It's going to be all around us. Then lastly, verse 11, is the capstone of this violent rendition of God's judgment. And we must see things, we will see these things come to pass. Why must these calamities befall the city or a nation? Calamities as so great as are described in this psalm and the answer so that men will say, surely there is a reward for righteousness. And surely he is God who judges the earth. Again, God, God will not be mocked. This is happening all around us. God will not be mocked. But He is a God of mercy and grace. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He's giving time for people to repent. Whether they will repent or not, we don't know. 
If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those who are in this room today, today's the day of salvation. His wrath will come upon all men who defy Him. Who break covenant with Him. Who defy Him in all their ways. But those who humble themselves before the God of the universe, He will lift them up. I leave you with the, with the last six verses of Psalm 9. Yet again, another psalm, imprecatory psalm. Beginning in verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made. In the net which they hid, their foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment He executes. The wicked is snared in the work of His own hands. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let men prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah.